0: All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to turn to two places today. Uh, We're going to go Matthew chapter 28, uh, and then we're going to go 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, we won't reach 2 Corinthians until almost all the way at the end, okay? So if you're sitting here and you're like, we've already been through Matthew 28, we haven't touched 2 Corinthians 5 yet, and you're worried about the cowboys and the JV dolphins, okay? All right, just be be patient. We're going to get there. We'll get there at the very end. And so, in, uh, in Luke 14, uh, Jesus shares some words about the cost that's involved in following him and, and it's interesting because it's, it falls in the middle of what seems to be a rising popularity in Jesus' life. Uh, in fact, he walks out of a room, out of a dinner with some Pharisees and it says great crowds started following him uh, and then... Jesus like immediately thins out the crowds with some very direct and and what seems to be very hard words about the cost that it that is involved when it comes to being his disciple. In fact, uh we we may think it's strange because I mean isn't the way that this is supposed to work in the church that bigger is always better, that the bigger the crowd, the healthier the church? And and Jesus seems to know something that we don't apparently know. That's not necessarily a good barometer on on health. And so so he comes into these moments and uh, Jesus doesn't really seem to care at all about becoming the prom king. Uh, what he really seems to have a proper view on is, uh, is, is what life with Him should look like. And so He, he says some words uh, that as we read them, we're confronted with what seems to be some extremes. Uh, in fact, uh, Jesus says that in order to be His disciple, you have to love Him more than you love your family, more than you love yourself. You have to be willing to bear your own cross by identifying daily, daily, with Jesus, not just Sundays and not just when it's convenient, but daily, you would identify with His mission. You would identify with His suffering. You would identify with His surrender to God's will. And then He gets to the end of this section, and and He says, "You have to be willing to renounce all for the sake of the gospel." And sandwiched in between that. He, uh, the words, they, they can be difficult to read and they can be even more difficult to live out at times, but that doesn't make them any less true. And that's why in the middle of these demands that Jesus gives us, He he grants us um, two very helpful word pictures. If you remember, He came in and He said, uh, he, he says, no one decides to build a house without first counting the cost to see if they'll be able to afford finishing the build of the house. Uh, and then He says, secondly, no king goes to war against a, a rival army without first considering how many guys does he have to go up against him. Does he have enough to actually overtake the army? And if not, he sends a delegation to uh, seek peace. In, in and that, that, that the reconciliation that Jesus is telling us in these words to deal with is to count the cost of following him because it is costly. And and so so the demands of the gospel is that that we die to ourselves and we live in the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the reign of King Jesus that he becomes our identity and and so so the way we've been kind of asking you guys to uh think through this is is by simply asking what capacity does Jesus play in your life. Uh and we've we've kind of talked about three different responses if you'll remember that that the box number one is a person who does not identify Jesus as Lord and does not identify Jesus as Savior. That This is the state of the unbeliever. And, and again, we don't use that to guilt anybody. We just think it's helpful to know where you're at so that you can talk about where you want to be. And so, so the person who doesn't identify Jesus as Lord and Savior comes in and they don't understand their need to submit their lives to Christ because they don't see His great worth. And then secondly, they don't understand the weight of their own sinfulness. Okay, So then you have box three, which is the proper view of seeing Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm going to get to box two in just a second. right? So seeing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's where, as we walk through the Bible, this is where Jesus is consistently pressing us to understand that underneath His Lordship, We find the best pastures to eat in. Uh, We find our greatest needs met. We find things like joy and peace and satisfaction, contentment. We find those things not in our search in the rest of the world, but because we find them in Him. So He is our great treasure. And then you have box two, where we know Jesus as Savior, but we don't allow Him to be Lord. And I think this is the state of a lot in in our modern church, uh, that we've been to a fifth quarter or a retreat or we went to um, a conference and we gave our our lives to Jesus, sort of, that that we've asked Him to, hey, uh, save me, but let me continue to live in my own little story. Let me continue pursuing my own smaller pursuits. And again, most of those pursuits have to deal with our eyes being not on Him, but on other people and so we say hey that seems like fun i want to go do that um and, and the the challenge with the gospel is jesus says i'm not willing to play in box two i'm not i'm not willing to let this be a game with you and so he comes in in these moments and he presses us and he says just count the cost pay attention because my relationship really is an all-or-nothing uh, agreement—that all of me for all of you—and and now the the beauty of that is, is and actually we said it this way this way last week—that that following Jesus shouldn't be this reluctant journey of like, well, I guess I'll give him a go. Uh, because because when we see him properly, we we understand that he is this great treasure. He is. This great pearl that that we're in our joy is the greatest privilege of our lives to sell it all so that we can take hold of this price. And and so 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 the gift of our salvation is Jesus. We can't we can't save ourselves, but the price of following Jesus is our whole lives. Okay? And I can't say this enough. Every single time we are the winners in that agreement. Okay? Every single time. We get to that part and we say, I have to give my whole life. We gain everything. We gain everything and we actually don't lose near as much as we think we are. And so, so because of Jesus, our desires and our delights are refined to both significance and health, which leads us to joy. And so, so where I want to go today... So I want to take a few moments, and I want to talk about counting the cost when it collides with our love for other people. I love talking about the topic of love, especially as it collides uh, with with other people. That that how following Jesus into other people's lives for the glory of His name is part of living as a person changed by the love of God. That's where we're going. And we're going to start there in in Matthew chapter 28. But first, let, let us pray. Father... We thank You today that the words we were given the privilege to sing, that they come to You. We thank You today that the words we get to read, that they are from You. And we pray that through the power of Your Holy Spirit, that He would speak to us today, that we would be willing to listen, and that we would understand Matters of of the most importance today. We love you and we lay these requests at your feet. And we wait for you to move in eager expectation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, one of the greatest things Jesus has ever said in the history of ever are three words. It is finished. John 19.30 it is finished That, that my obedience is finished and it's perfect and you need it my suffering is finished and you need it to cover all of your sins I have finished removing the wrath of God from my people I have finished striking Satan with a death blow I have established the new covenant of my people it is finished and we get to rejoice and then the mission begins. That's what happens. In fact, what's so overwhelmingly amazing about the mission is that it happens through you and it happens through me. That, that we, could, we could sit here today and we could wish that Jesus hadn't left uh, because he was so powerful, he was so impressive. And yet, his very own words is, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he says something like this in John 13. He says, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And these are stunning words for the ambassador of the good news of Jesus Christ. They're stunning words. In fact, the mission begins where redemption ends, at the cross. When Jesus says, it is finished, that's where the proclamation of our lives get to join in with this incredible story of God, that, that our great task is to spread this news with all our might to every nation on the planet, on the planet. In fact, there's a lot of discussion in the Bible about how we follow Jesus into the mission field of our lives. That, uh, in fact, there are books and there are conferences and there are sermon series. There, there are denominations that split on, on what's the right and the proper process through which we carry uh, genuinely sharing the gospel and genuinely believing in the gospel. And, and, but, but one thing we will find that really never change when it comes to Christians is that we're told in the Bible about what we're told to do uh, in the Bible about our manner of living. And it simply says this, that since we are people changed by the love of God, we are to be people who live out the love of God. That never changes. There's not a page that it changes. That because we have been changed by the love of God, we are to live out the love of God with our lives. In fact, a couple of my favorites. Okay, 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Just Paul just simply comes in and he says, let everything that you do be done in love. In Romans chapter 10, or 13, verse 8, he, Paul will say, hey, when it comes to debt in your life, owe no one anything except to love each other. That we would have a continuing debt of love for one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then a couple of months ago, we were walking through 1 John. You'll remember, he, he, he got to chapter 3, verse 18. Anybody memorized it? Yeah? No? Okay, here, I'll tell you. It says, little children. Okay, remember, we got to that point. He kept calling us little kids. And, and he did it because he loves us. He says, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. So let's not just talk about love. Let's let that be the motivating factors of our feet and our hands. Let our love go go past, hey, I'm going to pray for you, to, hey, let me walk alongside you. And so with this in mind, I think there's an important question we need to ask, and I'm not, I'm not sure you've ever really asked it in this sense. You might have done it relationally but but what I want to do is I want to ask a question I want to throw Jesus into it I know novel concept uh but but a big question they won't ask if we've been uh commanded at times to love other people here's the question if i am a change i'm sorry if I am a person changed by the love of God okay so that's the qualifier okay if i am a cha- a person changed by the love of God and are called out to i'm sorry I'm having a hard time reading today, people. I'll get there. Well, i say, can you just put it on the screen? Because apparently I can't read. If I'm a person, it's the big question to ask, if I am a person changed by the love of God and are called to live out His love shown in Jesus, then what is the most loving thing I can do for any person? For any person. It's a big question every single relationship that I can have, what is the single most important loving thing I can do for them? And I think it, it can appear to be a tricky question, uh, but for, for the Christian it shouldn't be, right? Because the qualifier is if I'm changed by the love of God, and I'm called to live out His love shown in Jesus, then this shouldn't be very tricky. And I think it can be tricky because we can easily confuse a loving act in a moment, for being what is most loving. Are you with that, that? That we can be loving while walking across the room and giving someone a hot meal. We can we can be loving by taking care of someone's kids while their relatives in the hospital. We can be loving by standing beside someone in a difficult season of life. But but the question we're asking this morning isn't small. It's huge. What is the most loving? Thing a Christian can do for a person. And, and, and what we're going to explore uh, is that the most loving thing that, any, that you can do for any person is to proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus. It's the most loving thing. In fact, I will, uh, I, my contention is your unwillingness at times to proclaim Jesus to people is the, is the least loving thing you can do for them. It's the least loving. Now, we're going to talk about some factors of why we're reluctant at times to do that. But I'm just letting you know, the most unloving thing you can do for someone is not to talk to them about Jesus. And so, because what they need most in this life is not your service and it's not your relief. What every person needs to experience is life and joy and peace. It's to experience the love of God through Jesus. And so we go to a very famous of verses that jesus gives us in matthew chapter 28 in fact so famous they called it great uh because jesus gives us what's called the the great commission all right and so so this is what he says we're going to start in verse uh, uh 16 i think we have it on the screen right uh verse 16 now the 11 disciples went to galilee To the mountain. So let me give you the 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 framing of this thought. Jesus has died. Uh, He's gone to the cross. Three days later, he rises again. There's a period of time where he meets with his disciples in a couple of different places, and this will be their last moment with him. And so it says, "Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them." Okay, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But these next three words are a side point, okay? But some doubted. And I don't know about you, but I find great relief in those three words. Because we're talking about the disciples, right? And we all think of them as these great, large heroes of faith. And it says, in this moment, Jesus has been spending time with them. Jesus hey, go! I'm going to meet you on this mountaintop. They see him. And some, not just one, some doubted. And I would love to find out one day, what was your doubt? Like, what was going on in your heart in that moment? But that's another lesson for another day. And Jesus came and they said to them, He says, all authority, pay attention, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, go therefore and... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then he ascends. Which I'm like, that doesn't sound right. And so, so, here's the thing. When, when it comes to the Great Commission, it's simply to tell us this. And you can follow along your talk notes. That the Great Commission is to go and tell the world, it is finished. It is finished. All your longing, all your searching, all your desires to be complete, it's finished in Christ. In Christ alone. It's, it is done. That Jesus has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. He has made the way to restore fellowship with the Father. So, so isn't the question that follows next, okay, so how do we respond to this go and tell? And I think if we're willing to listen, uh, we can find these answers staring right back at us through the Word of God, that, that number one, I'm going to give you the great commission in four parts, that number one, the description of the mission is for us to go. To go. That that we would go, and then he says, to do two things. Right? That number one, you would go baptize, and then number two, you would observe. Right? You would baptize, I'm sorry, and then number two, you would teach them to observe. So so baptism is simply this outward expression that I belong to Jesus. That that I have full and complete allegiance to Christ. That, that I am dead to me and I'm alive to Him. I'm walking in the newness of life. That I'm marked by trust in His promises. I have moved from darkness to light. That baptism is, is that line that's drawn for others to see what has happened for us and in us. So it's more than just being dunked in a pool. It's a public declaration of an inward life change. And, and so, so we're moving in the world to draw people into that kind of relationship, into to that kind of symbol in baptizing. And then after you have baptized them, you, you teach them to do everything the Word teaches. Now that's the hard part, right? Because we're like, everything? I don't know everything. Well, you, you start with what you know and then you keep building on what you know. That's the way growth in Christ works. You start with what you know, and you keep growing. That, that we would draw this people not to just have an allegiance to Christ, but they would be like Jesus in the way that we live. That we would bring them to the point of baptism. It's, it's like bringing them uh, to the point of, of being justified by faith, by being declared not guilty by God and then uh, bringing them to obedience of everything that's said is to bring them to sanctification, this process of growing up. So, so the Great Commission is, is let's go preach the gospel in such a way, with such a fullness, that people are made right with God through faith in Christ, and they are utterly transformed so that everywhere around us churches rise up, and lives are changed in whole, entire communities. Entire communities. So that's, that's number one. That's the description of the mission. It's just to go. And number two, the scope of the mission is that everyone matters. Everyone matters that that he he tells us to do this t- for all the nations okay and, and what i'm drawn to is the fact that there's a really high possibility i will never be a missionary to the eskimos um I, it's cold that that's number one like god tells me i'm like i don't know man really cold there now y'all watch one day i'm like god told me to go to the eskimos and i'm going So what does that that mean, right? When he says, go preach the gospel to all nations. Here's what you need to understand. And I think sometimes the Great Commission is packaged as a singular um, thing. that, That this is you. This is what you do. And I think there's a lot of aspects to that. But I also think there's a global pursuit in the Great Commission that when God says to go speak to all the nations, He's not necessarily talking about going to Germany or to China. He's talking about going to people groups. Like every time we read in the Bible, in particular, we're talking about people groups, like the Moabites and the Jerobites and the Ites and the Ites and the Ites, right? So we're talking about going to people and proclaiming the gospel to them. And so when He says that, here's what we know is that when our churches in our community are doing this correctly we're pulling our weight globally you with and so so the scope of the mission is that everyone matters every single person in this community matters it doesn't matter what their socioeconomic situation is. It doesn't matter what their past regrets are. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. It doesn't matter who they are because the gospel is within the reach of every single person we come across. And this is what I love about the gospel. It's because, and I don't know where we, we got off on this tangent, thinking that I'm responsible for saving people because I'm not. The beauty of the gospel is that I am just to be obedient in proclaiming it. And then the Holy Spirit does the rest. The Holy Spirit draws them. In fact, Paul says this in, uh, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians. He goes, he goes, listen, I'm just playing my part. I planted the seed. Some guy named Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It was God who did those things. And and so so everyone... Matters. No one is outside the grasp of the gospel. So we go into all nations, all margins, all holes, all people to help those who are dead come back to life. And you have people that are living right next door to you. And some of you know their names, and some of you don't. And the great commission is that you would go and you would tell them. Number three, the authority of the mission is that Jesus is power. Jesus is power. How how can we, this is the argument, how can we walk into an unbelieving world and help them see the sins that they are trapped in and the dysfunction of their beliefs and with confidence, how can we show them a better and a more complete way? How can we do that? And, and, And we are able to do it because Jesus says all authority is mine. All of it. And, all, and he's put it right in the Word. And so, so what's important for us to remember is that our t- opportunity is not to make, again, not to make people believe, it's to go and tell where we have found hope. That's it. That, that we serve as witnesses. And now, again, I think at times in the church we've taken that word witness and we've changed it into something that it shouldn't be. Because the scaled-back definition of a witness is is a person who is just given a testimony. Just telling their story from their perspective as to what happened. One of my favorite places is John chapter 9. I'm not going to go there, but, but spend some time there. There's this guy that's blind and, and they ask him you know, to say, hey, who is Jesus? And he's like, I don't know. All I know is this. I was blind. And then I met Jesus. And now I can see. That's all I know at this point. That's all I know. And that's the role of the witness, that we get to walk not in our own authority, not in our own ability to convince somebody. We get to walk in the authority of Christ because He says, I'm giving this to you, that, that the rest of the works the Holy Spirit. So He draws the hearts of sinners into the saving arms of Jesus. And so, so we simply um, point them to Christ and we invite them to investigate and to follow Him what i love about the gospel that our testimony is, is simply this that the more you follow jesus the more we bet that you will see him as a great treasure we believe that in our lives so number four we get this encouragement right so so we're talking about the description of the mission is to go the scope of the mission is that everyone matters the authority of the mission is that Jesus is power and then, fourthly, the encouragement of the mission is that Jesus is always with you it 's great encouragement that he gives his guys, and by extension, we get to receive it that that what Jesus says, "Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age and that that 's plenty to take on a myriad of, of circumstances that this promise let's us get past our barriers for proclaiming uh, the gospel in the first case because there's strength in numbers isn't there there's strength in numbers and i know that's true in your life because your dumbest moments were surrounded by your dumbest friends right the dumbest moments in your life are when you had a group of guys with you and you're like yeah yeah we sh- someone should have been smarter in this moment but we weren't and it is by the grace of god that we still live So so let's let's be honest here. Just for the moment. Then at twelve o'clock we can stop being honest. That that the reason more of us are not willing to talk more about what Jesus has done in our lives is either we don't see Jesus as our great all satisfying treasure. Or we we kind of do, but fear grabs hold of our tongues. That's that's what's at play. That That we have the fear of ignorance let me let me just see if I can paint us all together. The fear of ignorance that that what if I say something and I don't know how to answer the follow up questions right i mean i'm I'm learning that it's okay to say I don't know you know i I think as a parent that has taught me a that permission to say i don't I don't know, hey, what do you think about this? I don't know. I think we have the fear of, of awkwardness that what if I say something and they think it's weird and it messes up our relationship. Right? You ever been there? Maybe that's a legitimate fear of yours or maybe it's just an excuse that you use. I don't know. Because I've done both. We have the fear of embarrassment. What if, what if I say something and they make fun of me? The fear of loss. What, what if I say something and they walk away? What if, what if that's the case? And I think the hope we find in the Great Commission is that the presence of the Holy Spirit stands beside us and empowers us and will not depart from us so we are never alone. And some of those fears may become real and they may happen, but the promise of His presence is greater than the fear involved in risking the relationship. Again, one of the most unloving things you can do in a person's life is not tell them about the hope that you have. Like I, I, I struggle at times with that. I'm like, yes, that is the most unloving. Like, like how much hatred do I have to have for a person to not show them the lifeline? And so, so some relationships, okay. And this is this is what I learned. Okay, now think about this with with honesty. Some, actually, I think all relationships can never really grow without first someone willing to risk their heart. Like, not any of you married people, none of you would be married if someone wasn't first willing to risk their heart. Right? You, you can't grow in your relationship with your kids without first being willing to risk your heart, to give it to them. Right? And that's what we struggle with in this. And we're like, I don't want to risk. But you never gain. You never gain. You always, 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 always settle. And so there's, there's no greater risk to take than to help someone come back to life. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about matters of life and death. And so, so we're, we're going to start wrapping this up. Okay? And I told you we're going to get to 2 Corinthians. We're almost there. So the big question is this. If I'm a person changed by the love of God and I'm called to live out His love shown in Jesus, what is the most loving thing I can do for any person? And we know that through the Great Commission that we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus, that not with, with only our actions, but with our words. Because here's what we know, that handing out a bowl of soup uh, is commendable, but, it's, but to empty people it is just satisfying a hunger. They will never get that bowl of soup and be like, you know, I'm thinking about my position with Jesus right now. It takes words and it takes actions combined. And so, so what we find in 2 Corinthians is, is Paul helps us greatly. And, and I feel like any time we talk about this role, I'm always coming back to this passage because it is so thick and it's so powerful to me that it reveals our role as we live under the lordship of Jesus how how we've been included in this great story that God is telling and and I want us I wanted to start at verse 17 but 11 through 16 is just so good to me that I'm like let's just let's just ramp up all right let's just do that together he says this therefore okay knowing the fear of the lord we persuade others but what we are is known to God and I hope It's known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but we're giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. And he says this, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it's for you. Verse 14, I love this. I love this because this is the way it should be in our lives. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, who for their sake died and was raised. So he makes a decision. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Which mainly just means we don't see anyone as a lost cause. We don't see anyone as as an enemy to us. Then he says very honestly, though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we no longer, we regard him thus no longer. And this is where we lock in. Verse 17. because it's so powerful. Therefore, so so based on what we just said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. This is your story. This is the story of us. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Okay? And that's, that's Jesus' Savior. We have been reconciled by God to Himself. But then that's not where it ends, right? That in Christ Jesus... God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses. I'm sorry, I skipped verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's Lordship. Jesus is Savior. God has reconciled us to Himself and then He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's Lordship. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Just let that wash over you for a moment. And ask yourselves, if I am found in Christ, do I live as an ambassador for Christ? Then he says this, God making his appeal through us. The greatest privilege, right? That God would look at you and me and say, Hey, I'm including you in rescuing people who are dead. And I'm helping them find life in Christ. God making his appeal to us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we've asked a big question. Let me give you a big answer as we start to wrap up. I can... So what is the most loving thing I can do for another person? And it's simply this. I can make it my life's mission to implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. In case you're wondering, I didn't come up with that thought, we just read it. Now as we read it, we try to apply it. So what what does it say? When, When we are more reluctant to talk about the most important part of our life, but yet we will waste so much time repeating quotes from movies we watched in the 90's over and over again. how unloving are we truly when we're unwilling to help people find life? Because what matters in, in life and death is life or death. That's the way that plays itself out. So Jesus isn't being elusive. He's, he's not being mean. He's not being um, confusing. He says, listen, because of what I've done in your life, You make it your mission to go and tell people it's finished. It's finished. You risk every relationship for the sake of the gospel. You risk it. And this is what we find in the Bible. that Sometimes people walk away. And they'll say no. And sometimes they'll they'll leave and they'll never come to Christ. Sometimes they'll leave and then eventually they come to Christ. And then sometimes they stop and they say, you know, you're exactly right. I do need Christ as Savior and Lord. But that's not left up to us. We don't do that. We simply walk in obedience. So let me tell you the danger of this. And we're going to pray and then we're going to leave. Is you will sit here and it's easy in about 45 minutes to try to ignore everything we just talked about. It is. You can convince yourself I got a busy week, and you can go from church mode to life mode, right? And that's a problem, by the way. There's no church mode, or life mode. It's just your life in Christ mode. And what I pray, and it's going to be a mean prayer. I'm telling you, it's going to be mean. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit haunts you this week, that you would understand the the vital vitalness. Is that a word? Can we do that? Okay how vital it is to proclaim the gospel. Stop whispering. Then I'm going ask you to pray for Chris, because he's rude. <laughs> I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit haunts you with people that come to mind that you don't know. You don't know if they are found in Christ. And that He would grab hold of your heart and He would keep you awake in such a way that until you speak to them about the goodness of God, you find no relief. I told you it's mean. I mean, the easiest thing to do is walk out of these doors, say, check it off, Good. But I love you guys. I do. And I love you so much that I'm like, hey, let's stop wasting our time here. I watch us. We waste our time. We show up. We sit down. We shake hands. We leave. And the rest of the week, our life looks nothing like our allegiance is with Christ. It looks like it's with the allegiance of this world. And no, we're not going and we're not doing all these evil, illegal activity. We're just wasting our time. And that's a waste of a life. I love you guys. Our desire is to love God. Bye. Let me pray for us. And so we wrap up, I want to give you a couple things. If you need prayer this morning, we long to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus to be both your Savior and your Lord, we want, to, we want to walk with you through that process. We welcome questions. And if we want to stop and take some time and remember Christ and the price that He paid through communion, that's available too. Father, we come to You and we thank You for this day. And what I pray is that we would not be people who are willing to waste time. And I pray that we would be people who are willing to risk it all for the sake of the Gospel. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.